the show is here. Yo, our mission is clear. It's time to change healthcare. Have no fear. Today is the day. This is the hour. Together, you know we've got the power. Drop the silos. We're all the same team. Patients, docs, nurses, tech, and marketing. How can anyone be satisfied with the way things have always been? Yeah, we've tried. So join us now. Join the revolution. Digital health is the evolution. Status quo, more like status, no. Yeah, this is the healthcare rap. Y'all, come on, let's go. Welcome to the healthcare rap, where we are ushering in the future of healthcare and the status quo no longer exists where we are challenging assumptions about marketing and technology, and we check yesterday's thinking at the door. Where truth drops like an atom bomb, and knowledge flows like Niagara Falls. Each week we challenge assumptions that have been holding back healthcare marketing, and explain how we can do better. Join us. This is the Healthcare Wrap. Welcome back. I'm your host, Jared Johnson, ready to share some more provocative thinking for healthcare innovators and digital teams. Here on the Healthcare Wrap, we believe that the healthcare experience has to change, and we're trying to do something about it. We can either stand back and let it take another 50 years, or we can jump in right now. And I think you know how we roll. We're not going to coast to neutral. We're hitting the gas. Come be a part of this. Each week, we talk about the topics that you need to know about and act on to be part of the digital transformation movement. We share tips on shifting the way that healthcare is experienced digitally and the backstage strategies for marketing, operations, and digital teams to drop the silos and stay ahead of the curve. We recently passed 160 episodes and three years on the air. We're now in season five, which is our quest to answer whether it's even possible to provide the healthcare experience that consumers desire. So here's what's going to go down today. We have the flavor of the week about how marketing fulfills its promise. What should marketing be promising to consumers? And how do marketing and operations align to create a competitive advantage? I'll talk about that. Then Richard Mathera from Irrational Labs is in the house to share some provocative thinking about behavioral design and the difference between what people do and say. This episode is jam-packed and we have a lot to share along the way. It's time to dive right in. Are you ready? Let's go. Of the week. What promise should marketing be making to healthcare consumers right now? You can only go so far with marketing before the operational framework affects it, because otherwise, marketing gives a promise that the organization can't live up to. I was recently in a conversation with a high-ranking marketing leader at a large, well-known health system, and that was their comment. And it led to three other questions in my mind. First, what promise should marketing be making right now? Second, what happens when marketing and operations are aligned? And third, how does marketing even know the operational capacity for their organization? First, what promise should marketing be making right now to healthcare consumers? Remember the old adage, under-promise and over-deliver? I'm quite confident that every hospital out there says that they care about their patients, that they have the best doctors and nurses, and that they deliver high-quality clinical care. So does saying those things differentiate your brand at all? And have you given consumers a reason to even believe it? Are we making it easier or harder for consumers to have a good experience when they receive care? Are we using words like quality, convenience, and transparency without being able to back them up? We have to walk the walk with our brands now more than ever. Let's start by acknowledging that quality care is table stakes, so our brands need to promise more. Experience can be your competitive advantage. Think about it. The ones who downplay the importance of experience are usually the ones who suck at it. Second, what happens when marketing and operations are aligned? 
Let me be clear, operations refers not just to a single department, but to all of the teams with responsibility for executing the service. Magic happens when they're aligned. When they're disconnected, so is the experience for the patient. Together, they can create better experiences than any team can create on its own. So in summary, what happens when they're in sync? You can kiss your competitors bye, bye, bye. (laughs) See what I did there? Third, how does marketing know the operational capacity of the organization? In other words, how does it know how far it can take that promise? The answer is my favorite phrase. You've known it for 160 episodes in three years. Come on, say it with me. Ready? Drop the silos. Doesn't it feel good to say that? Look, it takes a lot of legwork and the right culture to support, but it starts with a simple commitment to communicate. It starts with leaders who know they need to talk more. Yes, you can only go so far with marketing before the operational framework affects it. That's why now is the time to initiate dialogue between departments. Learn what's possible and not possible to fulfill. Make promises that you can keep and put the patient at the center of it all. That's how we're going to see progress in healthcare. And that's the Flava of the Week. Listeners, uh, really excited about who we've got with us this week. We've got Richard Mathera, who's the managing director at Irrational Labs. Richard's in the house with us to chat all things behavioral science and behavioral design. And uh, this is going to be a treat. Uh, Richard, welcome. How are you today? Very good, Jared. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, you mentioned that uh, you are based in the in the Bay Area. That's got to be a decent thing this time of year. How's the weather these days? Beautiful. Yeah, I can't complain at all. Uh, you know, 70 degrees and sunny. It's uh, it's a good place to be. You know, with Phoenix, uh, we, we do have this, this small window of time where we're like, yeah, people are jealous of our weather. And uh, we're already approaching the end of that window <laughs> for us. So I love hearing that, uh, you know, I might have to find a way to, to make my way out uh, to your, your neck of the woods here sometime in the in the somewhat near future because yeah i think i have just maybe less than a month left and then it's like yeah, no one wants to be in phoenix but yeah you know understandable it's uh sf is a lovely place to visit especially when it gets super hot and because we don't have that so yeah would love to have you visit well we might make that happen you will we'll see nice <laughs> well tell us a little bit more about irrational labs you know and, and your background how did how did you end up there and, and what types of things do you guys do Sure, yeah. So I came over to Irrational Labs, formerly from Duke University Center for Advanced Hindsight, where I worked as a, a senior behavioral scientist there. And at Irrational Labs, we really we use behavioral science to make people happier, healthier, and wealthier. And when we do that, we think about behavioral design. So it really is taking sort of all of the applied psychologies, all the learnings from academic papers, and figuring out how to put that into practice. And when we say into practice, we put it into uh, products, into systems. We try to design ways to evaluate that, often through A-B tests, trials. And so we, we get to sort of make hypotheses about human behavior, try to figure out what we think is going to happen if we change a part of a product or a program or we create something new. And then often we get to test it and see if we were right. So I think that's one of the most fun parts of the job for me. Yeah, I will tell you one thing that has just gotten me a, a little obsessed with <laughs> with behavioral design at all is the fact that it that you're not necessarily just putting surveys out there and looking at what people say they're going to do. You look at what they actually do. 
And I, I'm just still trying to wrap my mind around it because I'm like, why aren't we doing this more? Right. It's a great point because often people don't do what they say they're going to do or they don't know why they're going to do something. One of the examples we like to give is with retirement savings. And when you look at people who are saving for retirement, you ask them like, hey, why are you saving? Often people say, oh, the future is really important to me. I have a family, whatever. But you ask them why they aren't saving. They say, oh, well, I need money now. You know, finances are really tight, something like that. They almost never say it was the default. Actually, we, we did a, at Irrational Labs, we did a survey on this and asked people why they were saving or why they weren't saving. And 0.2% uh, of people in an open field said it's the default. And so part of our jobs and one of our main jobs as behavioral scientists is to figure out, okay, people are doing this thing. Why do we think they're doing that and create those behavioral hypotheses and figure out if we can help them make better decisions? Well, I guess that's why I'm so obsessed is because there's not an easy answer to that question itself. Let's dive into that here a second. I did want to give you a chance. I got to back myself up here for a moment. I did not give you an opportunity to tell us what's the latest awesome thing that you've come across in, in your life lately. It does not have to be healthcare related, but anything there that you'd like to share with us? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the coolest things I've seen recently, I'm a big fan of art, actually. And um, I went to the SF MoMA maybe two weeks ago for the first time in a long time. And I was just really excited that museums were open. Um, but I saw a really cool exhibit that I imagine probably could be put on in, in many other places, which was local artists doing art specifically about COVID. So, you know, local artists who had done are in the last year about COVID. And um, it really spoke to me. It, was, it kind of, you would see these pieces and some of them had like my old office space with a large mural on it was actually like a photography exhibit. And you would see small paintings of various moments of time. And you realize like what sort of a unique moment we've been living through. And uh, it, it was really kind of a, an intense experience to say, you know, this is all the things that we've been thinking about and living through in terms of like our perception of time, in terms of like all the uncertainty and to see that sort of reflected through art was really cool. Oh, I love it. I love it. See, we're already building my itinerary for my visit. So this is perfect. You know, I'll make sure that uh, this is the Museum of Modern Art. Is that the moment? That's right. Yep. Okay. So yeah, so that'll be, that'll be one of my stops on my visit. So here we go. That's perfect. Set you up. Right on. Let's dive into this even a little bit more, uh, Richard, when we talk about behavioral design and behavioral science, and I'm, I'm careful to even use those two terms, and maybe a good starting point is, is, is there a difference between them and whatnot? And then I'd love to, to hear, why is it an effective approach in healthcare? When we think about what's the difference between behavioral science and behavioral design, we think about behavioral design as sort of the application of behavioral science to products or uh, programs. And so really it's two sides of the same coin. Uh, we think of behavioral science as the body of knowledge, you know, sociology, psychology, anthropology, all economics, obviously, all of these sort of fields, they come together. And then behavioral design is sort of how do we leverage that base of knowledge to make, you know, products, systems, programs better. And then within the field of healthcare, I think there are many ways that we can use behavioral science to try to make, well, one of the biggest challenges with healthcare and one of the biggest things that behavioral science is good at doing is figuring out how can we get someone to do something that's really good for them in the long term, but really hard to do in the short term. And that's a really hard challenge. And one of the things that uh, behavioral science is really good at. So when we think about healthcare, often we're trying to get, you know, ideally people will be doing things that are 
good for their long-term health, but may not be, it's more fun to, you know, eat that extra dessert or, you know, stay on the couch a little bit longer. And so the idea is like, how can we leverage behavioral science to help people do the things they probably want to do, their future selves want them to do, but their present selves say it's too hard. So even right there, we're talking about a difference between what we even think is leading to our behavior and what actually is. And it seems like there's sure a lot that happens in that gap. Exactly. And behavioral science, we call that the intention action gap. And um, it's something that we deal with all the time, right? And so Jerry Seinfeld actually has a really, really nice one on Netflix. And he describes uh, day guy and night guy. And uh, when he says night guy is him when he stays up all night eating Oreos, watching his shows, binging, whatever. And then uh, he doesn't have to worry about day guy. He doesn't have to worry about waking up late, being tired, dealing with any of that. Uh, that's day guy's problem, right? Uh, and then when day guy comes around, he says, oh man, that night guy, why did he, you know, why did he eat so many Oreos? Why didn't he sleep? I feel terrible, right? And so that, that's a little bit about sort of the internal struggle that we all have with sort of present bias and, you know, the things that we want to do now versus our, our future selves. I see. So where do you focus the most when it comes to healthcare? Like what types of, whether it's that gap you just described or other, what are the most pressing issues, I guess, where behavioral design can help? Yeah, for sure. One of the things we've been thinking about a fair bit is trying to get encourage people, how would we encourage people to take the vaccine, especially since we're getting to a point where there's more sort of, there's going to be very shortly, and there is in a lot of places in the U.S., more supply than demand of the COVID vaccine. Another area is sort of when we think about adherence. So again, you ask people, do they need a reminder to take their medication? And every, you know, People say, eh, no problem, no problem. I'm definitely going to be able to do it. But, you know, as we know, adherence levels are, are not 100%. Also thinking about how can we improve social determinants of health. And so that's another area that I think behavioral science is really well suited to try to think about. Yeah, you know, actually, as you say that, that, that is, uh, I think we can definitely make the case for that, where there's so much cognitive dissonance between what we think or what we even know we need to do and and what we actually end up doing. You know, I'm thinking about this in terms of like like a patient experience or a, even broadening that out to a consumer experience because to me there is a difference patient experiences the is what happens in the time that you are scheduled and you are interacting with a healthcare provider and then maybe the immediate like follow up. There's all the other like 99% of your life for the majority of non chronic care patients, I guess, that they're not interacting with the provider, but they're still experiencing healthcare on and off through that entire time. And the more we realize that, the more opportunity we see to improve an experience. And that can be anything from yeah, all, all of a sudden, you know, I need to go find the late, the nearest urgent care or yeah, something came up. I'm trying to help some, a family member connect with with the care that they need or we're just researching something you know so we're looking for answers not necessarily looking for care there's all of these different journeys that we take as healthcare consumers not necessarily patients and they affect what happens when we're patients just as much if not more than you know the the things that happen in that small amount of time i keep coming back to this concept of yeah that, that other 98 or 99% of the time again for a lot of people that it is it is 
they're encountering healthcare more often than that. So, you know, I'm trying to be very respectful of, of the journey and how it's different for, you know, depending on what types of patients we're talking about, uh, because sometimes it is very much more involved and that is a very different experience. Hey, this is Scott Burgess from Healthcare 360, the fair and balanced healthcare podcast, exploring everything you wish you knew about healthcare, but don't. Join us weekly in an open, transparent conversation with some of the biggest names in the healthcare business, surrounding this one question and one question only. Had you known there were other options to exhaust and explore before you travel down the traditional healthcare route, how would you weigh those options against what you think healthcare and medicine really is? For more information about Healthcare 360 and how together we can help transform lives, visit scotteburgess.com, subscribe to our YouTube channel, or follow us anywhere you enjoy listening. See you there. But safe to say that we, you know, we can look at a digital tool like like telehealth, virtual visits, as we all know over this last year. I mean, they this was the year that that we compacted several years worth of advancement and acceleration of its adoption. And so now the majority of providers offer it. And for how long and how well that happens, uh, that's that's a big question mark. And I think something like behavioral design can can absolutely help us understand how to design that better. Because one thing that we've even had previous guests on the podcast talk about this as well, is that the experience itself with virtual care differs so greatly. It is not like the same experience from provider to provider. And it's often pretty clunky because of those who had to stand it up so quickly and check a box to say, yeah, look, now we offer these. We, we do them over Zoom, not a platform that was built for virtual care visits, mind you. Right. So how should we even approach improving something like, like a virtual visit? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think one of the key elements that you hit on when we think about the use of any product, and like you said, sort of virtual visits uh, have evolved sort of really rapidly and in a variety of different ways. So your experience could be very different, but what is the mental model of the service or the product? And so that's one of the things we think about first and foremost at behavioral science is like, what is our mental model for this? And in the case of a virtual visit, when should I be using this? And so this is a really interesting question because you mentioned across different providers, there may actually be different mental models of this, right? Maybe this is something that I use for therapy or the mental model of this is, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to see my therapist virtually, or the mental model of this could be, I'm going to use this as an urgent care, right? And I'm going to do this as an urgent care. My mental model for virtual visit is in place of an urgent care, or maybe I visit my primary care physician virtually. And that's how I see him or her now. And so one of the key things that sort of, and it's a product design decision, is what is the mental model that's going to be created about how you use this service? And I think, as you note, probably the mental model is actually different from service to service. Yeah, let's dive into that a little bit more, because I feel like this is an area where uh, where healthcare can absolutely innovate, is recognizing the differences in those mental models, depending on on what condition we're we're looking to to treat or that we're even interacting with a provider for. Tell us more about the mental model there. Like are we talking about like the decision points involved in how we seek care or can we even design a better way to experience care? 
Yeah, I think both. So in terms of the experience, we can think about what are the friction points that are difficult before we even get there, right? And so when we think of things from a behavioral perspective, we often think that small changes to the environment can make an outsized effect. And so if you've got to remember, say your member ID, for example, every time you go to log in for a virtual visit, that could be a significant friction point, which might keep you from using this. So as one example... And in terms of the mental model, would think about in what case would I use a virtual visit? And if you don't know the answers to that question up front, chances are you'll just default to the status quo, right? Or what you always do. So that's sort of like a big takeaway from behavioral science is that if there's confusion, if there's complexity in the system, we're going to do either what's easiest or what we have the habit of doing. And so in this case, like if we're like not sure what we might use this virtual visit for, what do we do? We just go down the street to urgent care or we call our doctor or we do what we've always done. And so that's sort of why it's important to really create the mental model of, oh, come here for your primary care physician. Come here for a uh, urgent care health, urgent care visit. Otherwise, people are just going to continue to do what they have been doing without, which is probably in-person, or maybe if they don't want to go to in-person, they'll they'll do nothing, right? And maybe they'll wait, and then, you know, maybe it will improve, or maybe they'll have to seek, you know, emergency care. Well, if there was like a light bulb you could see above my head, like it's it's been going off, like it's been flashing these this whole last segment that you've been describing this, because you just, you just, you just hit a couple of things here that that I want to make sure we we don't get lost here because uh, the part that you said about suggesting that we might not know what type of care we want we might not know that why we'd want a virtual visit for this thing but not for this other thing we might be in our haste to offer all of these options because we're told we need to that we've actually made it more complicated and in reality then we're going to go down this road where you just said of either picking the easiest thing or the thing we're used to. See, that's the type of service design here that that is not common in healthcare. We are, I mean, I'm trying to think of, there are very few types of work and types of experiences that are more complex from top to bottom. And I all the questions that you're even bringing up are all different ways to approach the things that hospitals and health systems, in my mind, are going to be competing on over the next decade. There were times in the past, there are a lot of our healthcare organizations that built themselves up. They've been around for 100 plus years. They're academic medical centers and they can hang their hat on their clinical quality. You know, they've got the numbers to prove it. They've got badges from US news rankings and so forth. You know, they they have the pedigree, if you will. And they're used to competing on quality. And the thing that we've been latching onto over the last, I guess, few months here on the podcast is that that sure doesn't seem like it's going to be the thing that we focus on and compete on for very much longer. That if there's anything that we learned from COVID, it's that the the genie's out of the bottle, the toothpaste is out of the tube. Consumers have talked about wanting an easier experience. And now they are just absolutely going to expect it. And whoever does offer that, that's going to be a bigger decision point than ever in our healthcare choices. And it's just part of the design process that we've got to get better at in healthcare. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I think it's a great point and it gets to fundamentally just human behavior, right? We, we go with the easiest thing. 
right? We're going to do what's easiest. And like I said, if we live in a world of complex choices, we're going to do what's easiest. We're going to do what we've always done. And so as providers continue to innovate and make these sorts of solutions clearer, easier, simpler to access, I definitely see people choosing on that. Because if we think about how people are choosing their healthcare, it's the U.S. system is kind of interesting because there are a number of factors we would consider choice on that aren't really salient. One is price, right? And so that's actually very unusual. If we were to make a choice in any other domain of you know consumer behavior, we'd say price is a is a really primary factor of our choice in healthcare. It's often not salient or not given, right? And the other is sort of what we think is going to be the best sort of care or simplicity, right? And if we're not sure and there's a level of complexity or uncertainty about what is the best possible route, we're definitely going to default to what's simplest. This has just given us so much to think about. I see I, I love going places like this because when I look at the theme that we've had this whole season, which is, is it even possible right now to provide the experience that consumers are asking for? I keep, my default answer is in most cases, no. And then Mm -hmm. I ask, hey, uh, well, why not? And some of the the insights in the type of of work that you and and the team there at Irrational Labs does is very much the answer in a lot of cases to that question of, well, why not? (laughs) Like what's keeping us from that? So anything else that we haven't really gone into yet that you'd want to share with uh, with our listeners right now just about what we're anything we've talked about or anything we haven't even uh, touched on yet the one thing that's really interesting and I'll just this is sort of an aside that the generally the health field has to deal with and, and we've worked with a number of companies in the health field in a common refrain one of the problems they come with is a lack of trust I just want to tell a quick anecdote about why this is. If you think about the healthcare system, and let's take a step back and you say, okay, well, how would you create trust? One of the ways that you can create trust is showing that your incentives are aligned or that you're willing to you know, do something to put yourself at risk or hurt yourself for, for someone else. And um, one of the interesting parts about the healthcare system is that that doesn't really exist. And so if we take, let's say you're going out to, to eat, restaurants are opening up for, for dining, you're going out to eat and you have a waiter and you say, hey, what should I get? And they say, you know what? I recommend the lobster. It's $32. It's the most expensive thing on the, on the menu, um, but it's delicious, right? And say, okay, you go back and, uh, and say, okay, what should I get for wine? And they say, you know what? I recommend a Bordeaux. It's, it's really good. Are you going to take their recommendation? Maybe, maybe not. But if you have the same waiter or, or you go back to the restaurant, the waiter says, okay, you say, what should I get? And they say, oh, maybe the chicken. It's $17. It's, it's one of our less expensive items, but it's very, very good. And you say, oh, okay, well, this person's, you know, shown that they're potentially willing to take a sacrifice to their bottom line to lead me down the right path. And you say, okay, well, how about some wine? What should I get? They say, oh, get the Bordeaux, really recommend it. You're more likely to take the recommendation. So that's the difference between trust. In the case of the medical system, you have a a situation where you go to the restaurant, you say, hey, well, what do you recommend? And they say, give me your credit card. I'm not going to tell you how much it costs. I'm going to charge you up front and you're going to take whatever I recommend to you. (laughs) Right. And so it's a totally different situation where you say, okay, well then should I get the wine or should I not? And, you know, all of a sudden you're like, ah, cut, cut. This person just took my credit card. They didn't tell me how much it would cost. They told me to enjoy my meal. 
I have no guidance. And so one of the challenges that I've seen from a lot of companies working in the healthcare space is how do we create trust? And again, one of the things that I I consistently come back to as two of the primary sort of principles in behavioral design are, are trust and mental models, which we've talked about so far. How you create trust is showing that your incentives are aligned with the consumer. And that's a hard thing to do in our healthcare system. Yeah, I love thinking about it that way. That's such a good example. It's just the the latest way to, to think about the difference in the healthcare experience. And, and it's funny when, when we bring these things up in, you know, purely healthcare audiences, you know, some immediately go to, yeah, we, you know, we are actively working to address this. And there are others who are just like, we don't have the time. We've heard too much about this. We're not like other industries. And it's like, okay, well, you can, you can only think about that so long. You can only think of it in that way for so long before you really do start losing the, your patient volume before you really do start losing people to these other institutions that are coming in from outside of healthcare and offering a better experience. It's just the, it's the part that's missing in a lot of business strategies right now. And so, it, you know, it's the thing that we keep inviting people to think about, learn more about, start talking about, and that's going to lead us to a very different discussion in healthcare. So Richard, this has been this has been a lot of fun. I want to yeah. make sure we, I give you some time here at the end to, uh, to recommend any kind of call to action, which is usually what we ask about any, any kind of tactical step that leaders can take, like a, a first step in this direction just to get them going. Yeah. One of the things, if you're interested in, in behavioral economics, generally, I would say Rational Labs is a really good resource to go to. And so we actually have a behavioral economics boot camp. If you're interested in, in learning more, uh, we actually have a behavioral health boot camp as well. And I think it's a good place to go to start to think more about the psychologies that we've been talking about here today. Fantastic. And what's the best way for listeners to get a hold of you if they want to connect with you? Is that like on LinkedIn or somewhere? What, uh, how do people find you? Yeah, sure. I'm on uh, LinkedIn and uh, Twitter, although, yeah, LinkedIn is better. Fantastic. Richard, it's been such a pleasure. Uh, All the best to you and and the rest of the team there and the work that you're doing. We can't wait to uh, keep following the the things that you're doing and and hear more about it and and see it implemented more, more widespread in healthcare. All the best to you. Stay safe, be well, and thanks for giving us a few minutes. Thanks, Jared. Likewise. Ed Marks here with Digital Voices the only podcast for chief digital officers across all of healthcare and life sciences. Digital Voices is about the voice of the patient, the provider, the payer, pharma, big tech, retail, public health, really any part of the healthcare and life sciences ecosystem, that's the digital voice we wanna capture as we learn and break barriers across the entire spectrum. Join us weekly as we drop our pod. Thanks to Richard and thank you for listening. We hope you found some value in this conversation. And if you did, please, this is important to us. Please subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about this podcast. I'll give you a second again to do it. One more time right now. Go subscribe and tell your friends about this podcast. Healthcare Wrap is a member of the Shift.Health Content Network. If you enjoyed this podcast, you're going to love the other shows in the Shift.Health Content Network. Go check it out at Shift.Health. It's all free and available on demand. Until next time, keep marketing forward. Thanks. And that's a wrap. Thanks.